Damn, son, where'd you find this? Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 14 of the Fly Route Podcast. I am your host, Anthony, a.k.a. Tony Playboy, a.k.a. Henny Harden, and I am joined here by one of my best friends, Demarcus, a.k.a. Nigga Marcus, a.k.a. Training Day. How you feeling today? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Um, I was just telling you, I'm listening to this new Jack Harlow, and you know, there's something, something about it. Hits right. Demarcus has finally just jumped on the Jack Harlow bandwagon, so he's a little bit behind. Bandwagon? I, I don't know if I call it a bandwagon. I'm giving credit where credit is due. His debut album is good. All right. You think Lou Will is fucking with the album? <laughs> no, but I think he's going to get traded, too. We'll talk about that. All right. All right. So I don't know if you have seen this recent ESPN article by Tom McMahon about the culture surrounding the Houston Rockets and how it was functionally whatever Harden say says goes and how nothing ever started on time. The plane was always late because Harden was not there and it was functionally an organized AAU team. I believe it. I had not read it, but I believe it. It goes as far as to say it is a large part of the reason why Russell Westbrook wanted to leave and that in the bubble, Harden was even late to practice and film sessions in the bubble. Weren't they taking like buses from the hotels to the arenas for practice as a team? He was even late in the bubble and apparently Russ had a whole fit and was like, we must start without him. And D'Antoni was like, we're just going to have to restart when he gets here. So, like, I guess we'll just wait. And Russ was not having it at all. They said that if there were ever multiple days off, everybody knew Harden was going to disappear, go party somewhere, not show up to any practices. And they just had to let it go because when he came back, he'd put up a 50-point triple-double. See, this is... And I just, this is where my, and we're talking about this more in depth later, but I just have had a criticism of James Harden and for a long time now, I don't think the way they play as a, I think first off, the way they have played as a team on the court illustrates everything you have said about off the court, that the team is centered around Harden. It stops and starts with Harden and that he is in his mind at the center of Rockets universe. I think in everyone's mind, he was at the center of Rockets universe. And sometimes you can know you're at the center of the universe and how you treat people and how you act motivates others or in bullies others in some, so to speak. So you have different approaches. You have the LeBron approach. LeBron knows he's at the center of the universe on every team he's on and he elevates and makes his teammates better. You have Steph who's at the center of the Warriors universe and he is the nicest person in the world and the hardest worker, despite being at the center of the universe. You have someone who, you know, Michael Jordan, the GOAT, who he might have punched a teammate or two, but when it came time, they were playing hard for him and for themselves and the team. And just th- that, that's just not the vibe I get from Harden. With Harden, he's all about him. I don't think he wants to make anyone better. I don't think people want to... They don't want to play as hard for him as they may have for some other people. Now, are, do they play hard? Yes. But I don't think it's the same. I don't think they're inspired whatsoever. I think a lot of them, including P.J. Tucker, probably feels like he's been bamboozled. I feel like P.J. Tucker is still on the Harden bandwagon, 
He just does not want to get left behind in Houston. Well, yes, and he feels <laughs> it coming. He feels that he, and this is the weird part where he likes Harden still, but liking Harden is probably not in his best interest at the moment because everything says Harden is going to try to force his way out. And, and PJ doesn't want to get left behind. And PJ will get left behind. <laughs> um, I don't, there's, there's few trade scenarios where PJ goes along with Harden. I don't see in most cases that happening. So we have an exciting show for you all today. We are going to get into a crazy story about a peewee football coach rocking the shit out of a nine-year-old kid. Give you our top 10 NBA players because the ESPN list was so bad. Tell you what we think the NFL playoff picture is going to look like and give you this week's Ballers Bouquet. The, 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 the fly route pod. The fly route pod. Welcome to the tea off. Oh, spill that tea, sis. This is how we like to start our show off. We like to spill some tea on some of our favorite athletes in the crazy situations they get themselves into. And today, we have a story that is a little unique, and it has drawn a lot of ire from our favorite athletes over the past week or so. And this one's a little odd. It fits in the theme that we've been going on for quite some time now, which is, you know, I guess football players and coaches being oddly aggressive and violent in inappropriate ways. So recently, Jarrell Williams, who is an employee of the Chatham County Sheriff's Office in Savannah, Georgia, and also a peewee football coach, video has surfaced of him abusing one of these kids. And I strongly think that if you are listening to this, Stop whatever you're doing and watch this video. I had DeMarcus watch it before we started because it is that crazy. I had somehow missed it. My head was buried in some books somewhere. You know, I like to study. And um, I saw it. And the, I mean, first, he hits the kid like he's a grown man. And the kid doesn't really react. And then you think it's over. And none of the other kids react. No either. one reacts. And then you think it's over and he hits him again. He walks away at like he walks away kind of like, you know, a parent would after they finish smacking the shit out of you. And you would assume that somehow the kid might have said anything like, hey, yo, nigga, you still a bitch. Because the way he turns around and rocks that kid the second time. No, he like fully winds up and and just bops him. Dude, kid falls flat and like. No one's really panicking around him. Everybody's like, well, as we saw also, more importantly, not just the kids weren't flinching. The other adults didn't do anything. They just kind of stood there. It was kind of crazy. Like, it felt like this looked like normal activity or behavior. The way people's body language around the incident was. The way the kid reaction, like when he got smacked the first time. He just kind of fixed his helmet. Yeah. Like nothing happened. Like he had just got a tackle and he got up and fixed his helmet. And they like legitimately looked kind of used to this type of behavior. And of course, it's been ridiculous. 
people have come out like LeBron James, who said, ain't no fucking way. Couldn't be my kid. Hell, if I was there and it's not even my kid, we going to have more than words for sure. Yeah, as it should be. Not a single adult did anything, though. Like, they were just like, oh, pick the kid up. <laughs> it's going to be fine. <laughs> like, Darrell Revis said, this is unacceptable. This type of coaching should not be tolerated in any men's, women's league professionally or scholastic sports for kids. Shame on this coach. Shannon Sharp came out. He was like, if that's my child, I got to have him. You know that Shannon thing. I gots to have him. <laughs> I gots to carry his punk ass. So this is crazy because after this happened, the video gets posted out. Put the police contact the boy's mother. Who said, oh, I knew about the incident. I'm not going to press any charges. It's okay. What? I, I shit you not. Like, I, the police reached out to her. She ain't reached out to the police. And she was like, oh, yeah, I know about it. I'm not pressing charges. There's There's got to be more to this story than we are we are seeing. Do you think there has to be more to this story? Either with this team, with this, with this guy who you said is a sheriff's deputy, right? He is. And in fact, the sheriff's department held an internal investigation on him after this video surfaced and decided to fire him from his position. He worked in the county sheriff's office, but I don't think he was a sheriff. He was a detention center counselor. Oh, so you mean he probably got paid to hit kids before this? I would not be surprised. Because that's that's not a, like hearing that he worked for them as a detention center counselor, counselor in quotations. And then he was a PB football coach who was caught abusing a kid and no one reacted. It sounds like he probably has physically intimidated minors for work. And both his like main job. Minor. Huh? I don't like you using the phrase minors. They, they are that. Like, minors Children. is a very wide term okay. of Children. under 18. This kid does not have Pre-teens. two digits in his age. Preteens and children. Preteens is 11 and 12. Fourth this graders. child does not have two digits in his age. Nigga. Third and fourth graders. That's nuts. Yes. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I really do. <laughs> That's nuts. I, I, I really do. But I'm saying this, this can't be the first time. And there's got to be something going on with this mom. Because what kind of mom sees a grown man hit her kid like that? And it's like, now nah, we good. Like, I just can't imagine that that is something that people are good with is I'm asked this question. I don't know if you know, are the mom and this guy dating? Like what's look, there has been no type of information like that that has come out, but it seems like he's not going to get away with it anyway. So first off, the person in charge of the Wee football league has first off expelled the coach from the league. He is no longer able to even attend games. So they're like, wash their hands of him. He's all the way gone, etc. The local state attorney and county sheriff's office reviewed the case and decided to bring charges anyway for child abuse. Yeah. Even though the mom decided not to press charges. 
They're like, this action is despicable. There is zero tolerance when it comes to the abuse of a child. It literally does not matter that his mom does not want to press charges. We are going for this. dude. No, the state has to act in the child's best interest, even if the parent will not. And in this case, they have incontrovertible proof that he did it <laughs> twice in front of dozens of witnesses. Uh, look, he's admitted to it. He did an apology and y'all can't see us yet. You mean he said, but- <laughs> I'm sorry that y'all caught that on camera? <laughs> look, if he had said, I'm sorry y'all caught that on camera, it would have sounded more genuine than what he did say, nigga. Or, I'm sorry y'all felt that way. <laughs> he said, and I quote, I am going to apologize for my actions about what took place, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to make any excuses for it. I did it. <laughs> he didn't even say what he did. <laughs> what kind of apology doesn't yeah. even include what you did? A smart one, I guess. <laughs> Nigga just said, I did it. <laughs> Nigga pulled the reverse OJ on us. Well, I mean, OJ got off with it and then wrote a book talking about some <laughs> if I did it. So Yeah, he ain't need to do that. He just let y'all know I did it. And it's kind of crazy because this is not the first story in 14 episodes that we have had recently. It, it's of, like the third. <laughs> <laughs> of a coach just physically abusing a player in a ridiculous fashion. And those are just the ones we hear about. Yes. And it connects like really highly to the story we told uh, from the Tennessean earlier. Mm-hmm. Was it about six weeks ago? Yes. About the football coach who like concussed and like knocked out a kid in practice, basically. Yes. In full pads and a helmet. Yes. Like, oh my gosh. So I'm s- I'm sitting here and I'm like, okay, all the fan outrage, all the like clearly superstar outrage that has come to this story kind of changes the way this is going to be dealt with. Because I want to be very clear when this video initially surfaced, he was not under investigation by the county sheriff's office. When this video initially surfaced, he was not immediately fired. When this video initially surfaced, he had not been fully banned yet. But it seems like when it started catching the type of traction that it did recently, things started amping up. I'm going to say this. And not even about this specific incident, but just life in general. When we get to the end of the 2000s, we're rolling up on 2100, about to go extinct from global warming. (laughs) The invention of the century will be the cell phone video camera. I think it will have changed the world more than any other thing that's come before it. As far as social dynamics go. Because in the past 10 years, there's now a camera everywhere. Everywhere. You can't do anything. So why a grown man would, in public, assault a kid and think that no one saw it or recorded it? I think he... New people saw it and and did it. Well, number one, did it not. If you do that in public, not that you should do it in private either, but if you do that (laughs) in public, you have to be almost certain that at some point someone's going to catch you on video. I don't think. And I think that means you just don't care. I think that's even worse. I don't think he cares, man. I think we talked about this. The body language surrounding this situation made it very clear that this was not an unusual circumstance in their culture. Am I crazy for saying that? You're not crazy. 
And that's the problem. It's crazy that nobody freaked out. That, and it's yes. crazy that when the player gets up, the coach just grabs his helmet, shakes it, and send this, sends this little nigga off to the sidelines. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, I, I just, I wish those at home could, could you know, see our faces because I'm just, I'm just shocked. I, there's no way I see that if I'm on the, if I'm anywhere near there, I immediately am going after this grown man because that's, that's just wrong. But none Period. of the other grown men seem to want to stop him, pull him away, confront him. See, this is another topic, but this is what's wrong with the few bad apples argument. Because if you stand there and watch that, you're not innocent. You are one of the bad apples. You are a bad apple. The fact that they haven't just fired that entire coaching staff right. is ridiculous. Because as an adult around children, it's not just that you're expected not to abuse the children yourself, but you are supposed to be an protector. Uh, well, not a, 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 what do they call it? A, um, you're a mandatory reporter. You have to, by law, report any abuse you see against the child. And I think that's the law in almost every state in the U.S., and so how anyone could work around children and not instantly grab that grown man and tackle him and hit him and immediately report him shows there are so many more problems on this, th- this team besides this one coach. And that was your tee off. Oh, spit that tea, sis. All right, let's get into the top 10 NBA players going into this season. And ESPN released their list quite recently, actually, and it's created a lot of buzz, stir, and controversy just because, honestly, this list is kind of atrocious. I want to say Shannon Sharp called it lazy. A lot of people have been shitting on this list for very good reason. It's just bad. It is just terrible. So we are going to give you the Fly Routes top 10 NBA players. And we can start with number one, which I think is going to be universal across our list, across the ESPN list, across most reasonable people's lists. So like everybody that's not Skip Bayless. LeBron James. Yeah, as much as I would, you know, like to disagree with this. Hold on, hold on. LeBron James. (laughs) Just aggressive for no reason. (laughs) But as much as I would like to disagree with this and say LeBron's not the best, I have no argument for such thing. Um, There just isn't a case. The the players who have most recently made a case have been hurt. Um, And KD and Steph, who recently made cases that they were the best players in the league, I'm not saying they are, but those were the you know closest challengers LeBron has seen, and I just have no one is near him. He is number one, and he right now he is by himself at the top. I agree. Of course, it's hard to come back off winning a chip in year 17, leading a team the way he did, mm-hmm. and not get that accolade. He is going to be in all these niggas' dreams for quite some time now. The ESPN list after there gets real shaky because at number two, they had Anthony Davis. Yeah, I'm not sure who's making this list. I'm not sure if anybody's checking it twice, but there is no way. They paid some nigga to make this list. They did, and I hope they paid somebody else to check it twice, and they should fire both of those people because they had done a piss poor job here. 
There is no way, no way Anthony Davis is the second best player in this league going into 2020. That is the question they asked, and I just don't buy it. First off, they're like, oh, he won a chip. Well, let's let's rewind here. With the exception of 2019, LeBron had been in the NBA Finals like nine out of the last 10 years, like eight straight or something ridiculous like that. So to say that AD helped boost them into the finals or over the top is a ridiculous statement. LeBron, by himself, with one other player, has almost always gotten that done. And no co-star to LeBron has ever been thought of that highly. Is AD likely the most talented? Yes. Is he the second best player in the league next year? Absolutely not. There are a whole host of former MVPs and former final MVPs who should be in front of him. Or just people who have led their team as the top dog that have right. actually went past like, the first round of the playoffs. AD's or- numbers have not improved drastically since he got to LA. He just happens to be on a better team. That's all. I agree. I agree. And after that, they had Giannis at three, which is interesting. Giannis is up there. Definitely a top five player, in my opinion. But the next one, was interesting. They had Luca at four. Yeah, I love me some Luca. I was screaming "Holla, Luca!" this this summer, watching the bubble. But no, no, too soon. Um, is he gonna? Is he possibly on that list in twenty twenty one in the top five? Absolutely. But right now, there's too many guys on this list who have, have actually proved it in the NBA. Have proven themselves and were not a part of the bubble. So it's like they haven't been in our recent memory. So we forgot about what they could do. And I'm just like. How could you forget about KD? How could you forget about Steph? How could you forget about these guys who, when they're when they're playing, are arguably, like I said, the best player in the league? I agree. I agree. Then they have Kawhi at five, KD at six, Dame at seven. I know this one bothered you deeply. Steph at eight. That's too low. Uh-huh. I hear you. I hear you. James Harden at nine, and the Joker, Nikola Jokic. At 10. So the only parts of this list I agree with are number one and number 10. Most of the middle of it is trash. (laughs) All right, let's get into it then. DeMarcus, who are your top 10 NBA players going into this season? Okay, so number one is clearly LeBron. At number two, I have Giannis. Now, do I think Giannis is a flawed player? Yes, but outside of... Outside of, but as a peer, just who is going to play the best going into next year? Um, I'm not going to bet against Giannis. He is still young. He's a back-to-back MVP winner who's still getting better. Uh, at any point, if he develops any kind of shot, he he cements his place on this list at number two. So before he cemented his place on this list at number two, you've just given it to him. No, no, he well, can't it's, make a ten foot jumper. He can't make a three point shot. The the question is, what will they do next year? I haven't seen next year yet. Okay. As much as I predict the future, I can't predict that what Giannis is going to do for 72 games. Uh, I, I can predict what he's going to do for those regular season games. <laughs> he's going to fucking dominate the league oh, again. I, almost. And then it. But that's got to be a part of it. Sure. But you know what also has to be part of it? And Playoff I, performance. Well. Past and future. So. Well, future in this instance. Your past should be a. That's the data that you use to collect the indicator for the future. Yes. I'm not saying I'm not weighing the past at all. I'm saying I'm weighing the future more heavily than the past. I'm saying the past is the indicator for the future. If Giannis has never been able to be a good three-point shooter or even have a mid-range game, the fact that you've just projected him having that into the future this year is ridiculous, especially in a shortened offseason where he was rehabbing an injury. 
Okay, but I don't think saying that Giannis is the second best player in this league is that controversial. I disagree, but I see what you're saying. Please continue with your list. So third, I got KD. I think KD's going to come back, have a phenomenal season. Like I said before, I don't think KD's game was that dependent on athleticism. He will still have a whole deep bag full of moves before the Achilles injury affects anything else in his game. At number four, I have Steph. I think we're going to see a whole lot of Steph Curry with no clay and a lot of other lesser players around him this year. I think he is going to carry that team. He's at the kind of tail end of his prime. And I think he's going to show run really, at least this year and probably next year, really strong performances. Because though he doesn't talk, I know that Steph hears and sees such things like this list. And uh, you cannot be a unanimous MVP and not have pride and be upset that they put you this low. And so I think they're going to have some, some, some problems with Steph next year going forward. Seen him in the preseason so far. I have too, and I don't like it. You don't like it? I think Steph looks amazing, but I think we are starting to see a lot of the limitations Steph will face when Clay is not on the court with him again, just because them other people don't move. Like there's there no, too well, much no one is as good as Steph or as, as Clay as moving without the ball. He I, is probably one of the top five players in the league at doing and, that. And I think it allows the op, the defense to really focus on him. Like there were some great highlights where ball comes up past half court and nobody on the other team is looking at their man. Yeah, Steph not is a gonna, single person. Steph is going to have to create like he has never created before on this team. But I think he 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 can do it. Look, I'm just saying, not a single person on the other team. Was oh no, Steph gets all eyes to their man, and you could not do that before because the way Clay was moving. If you do that, well, boom, someone's open. Or so people did it. Cut off. People did it, but they got torched. They got got torched. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) that's how they became the Splash Bros because people would look at one and not the other. You 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 run in transition and you're looking at Steph and oop, Clay's open at three point line. Swish, he's running back down the court now. You're like, damn, that was that was fast. They didn't even let the shot clock. Nope, they just shooting. I agree. Give me your fifth, and then I'm going to give you my top five. So five is Kawhi. Um, not a huge fan of Kawhi, but it. respect what he has done. Carried, was really good in San Antonio. Carried, uh, really did a great job in Toronto last year getting them the championship. And uh, until the second round, about game five, he looked pretty good in the playoffs for the Clippers. He looked good in game six, too, in the beginning of game seven. Now... Granted, the end of Game 7. Yeah, yeah, that's the problem. Look, facts, I'm with you. My list, we're talking about a lot of the same players, which is important. Of course, number one is still, always, will be, until someone can legitimately dethrone him. LeBron James. Now, however, my number two is still Kawhi Leonard. My number two is still Kawhi Leonard, and I think the disrespect on Kawhi's name needs to stop. Look, I agree. They came up short and they failed in a fantastic way last year. But that was not Kawhi's fault. Kawhi was balling. That whole series, besides maybe, let's say, the fourth quarter of Game 7, he was balling. He showed up and he delivered what you expected from Kawhi Leonard. He is still probably the best two-way player in the league, just offense and defense. He can hit a shot from all over, and he has become a much better and willing passer in the last year. And that's something that we saw a lot with the Clippers. 
My number three is KD. I agree. Watching the preseason, looking at KD play, it looks like he still has it. Like, what are you going to do about the seven-foot dude with the eight-foot wingspan pulling up from 40 Nothing. with the high apex on the shot so you can never Nothing. really contest it? Yeah, exactly. So, I agree. That is just like, I feel like he's going to come back. I feel like he's going to deliver on what we expect from him this season. My number four and five, I was really arguing back and forth about this. I'm thinking between... Steph and Giannis. And I think I'm actually going to, right now, give Giannis four. Just because we have seen what Giannis can do a little bit more recently than we have for Steph. I think the problem and reason why I can't have Giannis any higher and honestly wanted him back a little bit at five is because his game is just too flawed. His game is just too flawed. He has no mid-range game. He cannot hit an outside shot. And most importantly, teams have used the same strategy against him two years in a row to bounce him out the playoffs, right? Even though he got injured last year. You're right. And it worked both times. If you have that glaring of a flaw in your style of play, I cannot have you in that upper echelon with... KD, Kawhi, LeBron, like what is the flaw in their style of play like that, that can easily eliminate them from a playoff series? And that's why Giannis cannot be the second best player in the NBA. Well, click, click, get ready for your Kodak moment. Left this nigga speechless. Anyway, I'm being respectful right now. So go ahead. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to let you get your arguments in. Facts. Five for me then, Steph Curry. Eight, I agree, is disrespectful. Back-to-back MVP, unanimous MVP, best three-point shooter of all time, unlimited range, has changed the way the game has been played. DeMarcus, let's get into six through ten because this is where I think things get a little bit more contentious. And I do want to point out, and I think it's really important, that neither of us even had AD in our top five. No. I, I think that's correct. Now, do I think he's a really good player? Absolutely. Um, I have him just outside of my top five. I have AD at number six. All right. So I think he is a transcendent talent. I think he will be even better next year with the confidence boost from getting a ring. But I don't think as of at the beginning of 2020 that if put on his own team or if LeBron is out for significant stretch, that AD could carry the team the same way LeBron does. Would they still be good? Yes. But I just feel like something would not be quite right and they would not be able to beat the other elite teams in the Western Conference without LeBron. Okay, I have a question for you because this is very interesting when you phrase it that way to me. Do you think this Lakers team gets out of the first round of the playoffs if LeBron was not on it? Uh, Going into next year? Yes. I think so, but I think it's a lot closer than people think. Okay. I think AD with the really new, the good new supporting cast, we think they're going to be what we think they are. We'll get we can get out of the first round against a bottom of the kind of bottom of the West team, maybe. Like let's say like last year, look, two years ago, right? Mm-hmm. LeBron gets his groin injured. They take a dive for a bit. He he misses some time. Let's say like LeBron misses the last fifteen games or so, and fifteen games, first round of the playoffs. Do you trust 
that Lakers team that maybe is like at the three seed now because LeBron missed a bunch of games to get out of the first round. To like be the six seed? Yes. Like 100% faith in them? Like, no. Like, even it's not the same, like, even when the Warriors were like the two, three seeds in their their last couple years and they had an injury or two, there was never any doubt in my mind they were going to win those first round playoff series. But you also had both. Clay yeah, 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 yeah. It was a stupid, it was a stupid yeah. advantage. But even when you know, KD's nicked up and Steph's nicked up or missing a game or two in the in the first round, I'm like, there's no chance. There's no chance. Whoever's there is gonna get it done, and they did. Um, even before they got KD, there was a Portland series where Steph had gotten hurt in the first round against Houston, and in the second round, they 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 ball without Steph. Steph comes back, and they just reignites the whole the whole thing you have it and against portland in the 2019 western conference finals no uh kd the warriors go back to the splash bros yeah i steph shows up you had so many good okay, players okay. but this the, is different the nba now is a two-man league yeah but there was a serious question at the time if the warriors would be able to beat portland without kd i think that it was I, a dumb question, but it was a serious That's one. the point. It was dumb, and it was only a question because you got to draw clicks and have content to talk about. They didn't even It was content. not a real question. This is what I'm saying. The NBA now is a two-man league. Mm-hmm, it's right? back to that. It's back to two stars, <clears throat> who's going to win with their duo. And I'm saying, when I'm thinking about this top 10 list, I'm thinking, if you don't have your duo partner, are you going to carry your team to the second round? To the conference finals, etc. And that's something I haven't seen from AD, which is why, while I think AD is amaz- immensely talented and clearly has all of the tangible skill set mm-hmm. to dominate the league, I haven't seen it the way others have. As we put together, six, what's the rest of your top 10? So at seven, I got Harden. Obviously, transcendent, great offensive player, but like we talked about at the beginning of the show, question of what kind of teammate is he and he's obviously causing a huge headache in Houston right now and even though they've kind of retooled the team once again um does not want to try to this new version of the Rockets like the 5.0 version um at eight I got Luca um I think Luca is a player who it was last year even against a good Clippers team on the cusspice of getting his team out of the first round without his partner and Kristaps who got injured so I think he's clearly belongs in the top 10, but I think he hasn't done it yet. I've seen Harden do it. Um, I've seen AD do it once-ish in New Orleans. I don't uh, know if that really counts, though. I really feel like Rondo did that. Rondo was averaging like that's 15 bad. to 20 that's, assists That's a, a game. decent argument. Like, it was nuts. Rondo was averaging, like, yes, I said that. Rondo was averaging like 15 assists a game. And then I got Lillard. I think Lillard is... This is where he belongs. Um, most people usually underrate Lillard. I think Lillard, like we saw in the bubble, is a miraculous, great player. Um, more talented than anyone gives him credit for because usually those games are on super late and a lot of people aren't watching them. And um, at number 10, I got Jokic. All right. Here's where I'm at. At six, I actually have Dame. I think Dame is significantly underrated because he does what a lot of the other people on this list do, but without commanding as much attention and while fitting into a team's system a lot better. So you want someone that can score in bunches like Harden. Dame can do that, but mm-hmm. will also play defense, play hard, and will not 
monopolize and slow down an entire offense. You want someone with unlimited range like Curry. Dame got that too. Mm -hmm. We seen him whack that shit in Paul George's eye and send that nigga home. And one of the best shots. He sent James Harden home before too. Exactly. Another great shot. He is clutch. Like, so I think that Dame deserves so much more credit just from the resume he has built. Okay. Not potential, the resume he has built. At seven, I've, I got Jokic. I actually have Jokic a little bit higher. At this point, I think he is the best big in the NBA. I don't think there should be a debate about that. I think he is a more complete player than Anthony Davis. If, and he is probably, as a leader of a team, a more dominant player than Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis is an amazing player, but the way Jokic passes, the way Jokic shoots, the way Jokic sets up a team's offense, that is something that cannot be underrated to me. At eight, that's then where I put Anthony Davis. Clearly a top 10 NBA talent. We just haven't seen him do it as the guy yet. Everybody else that's been above him on this list for me has been the guy and has Maybe not won the chip, but it's taking their team deep into the playoffs as the guy. At nine, I have Harden. It's just, it's hard to leave somebody who might be the best scorer of all time off of your top 10 list, even if he is a great individual player, but clearly not a great team player. Like his style of play does not lend well to a team sport as much as you would like it to. Undeniable. He's going to get you buckets. We talked about that in the intro. He'll go to Vegas, party, come back with the 50-point triple-double. My number 10, and this is someone that was on not, not your top 10 list or ESPN's top 10 list, and it has me frustrated, is Jimmy motherfucking Butler. How is he not on your top 10 list after seeing what he did last season? After seeing what he did the season before that? After being responsible for the only Timberwolves playoffs berth in the last decade, Jimmy shows up on a team that team is automatically a playoff team and a contender. Jimmy leaves that team is trash again. We watched him go to the finals. We watched him go toe-to-toe with LeBron James. We watched him impose his will on a Lakers team in multiple games. Mid-range, post-up, whatever he wanted, he got it. He basically had to get gassed and have nothing left in the tank. And the Lakers were like, well, it sucks for you. This guy is a clutch shooter. He facilitates, plays excellent D, and he's the type of defensive player that can run up and lock down a guy. We talk a lot about like Giannis's defense, but Giannis is really a help defender, rim protector. That's not the same as I got that guy on the wing who's most likely that guy's most dominant and best player. What he does on both sides of the floor is crazy. And while Luca is a great honorable mention. You know I'm getting ready to talk about that. I know you are. He's a great honorable waiting. mention, but he is not Jimmy Butler yet. He will be better than Jimmy Butler. I, like, Luca's ceiling is so much higher than Jimmy's, right? Because he has so much more time to develop, and he has a lot of things that Jimmy does not. But right now, Jimmy Butler is a top 10 NBA player based off what we saw last season. I can see where you're getting the arc from. 
I don't have a huge problem with it. I just think at 11 or 12, Jimmy is appropriately ranked by ESPN in that in that regard, at least. I think what Jimmy does on teams, the Timberwolves and last year with the Heat, is I would argue more about Jimmy's intangibles than his tangibles as far as what he does with points, assists, rebounds. Now, does he do that work? Absolutely. But I would make a strong argument that on at least what happens on the court, Luka makes a bigger impact than Jimmy when it comes to the stat box. And I'm looking at more of that right now than the intangibles that Jimmy brings. Because I think that Jimmy does great things for the team. I think he makes the team around him better. But I think a lot of what we saw last year in the playoffs with the Heat getting to the finals was very much a team effort. And I think the combination of Bam and Tyler Hero and um, Drogic and all of those guys helped get them there. Did Jimmy play a huge part in that? Absolutely. But I think... Um, Jimmy was their closer. Jimmy hit the clutch shots. Two minutes left. The game is close. Whose hands are the ball in? Is the ball in? I mean, for my team, I'm calling Luca for the step back. Okay, but I'm asking. But I'm asking your team. You, you calling you? You want Jimmy with the mid range? Yeah, exactly. It, or it could be the three. You've seen Jimmy hit the clutch threes to ice games when he was in Philly. Yeah, I don't remember much of those days. That seems, yeah, that seems, yeah. That seems like <laughs> I forget I, I, too I, if I, I did have Jimmy Butler no, in my top no, ten, no, nigga. No, 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 no. It's that I just didn't watch a lot of the Jimmy Butler Philly games. I didn't watch a ton of them. I okay. can't say that I did. So it's not like I'm trying to. I'm trying to. Di- I like literally just didn't see a bunch of that. Okay. Do I? Like, I'm acknowledging Jimmy is great. I just think at 11 or 12, a point or two lower, he's appropriately ranked. That's all I'm saying. I get your arc. I get what you're coming from. I just think going into 2020, I think Luca right now is a little bit better than than Jimmy Butler as far as what is impacted on the court. Luca's stats are always going to be sexier stats because Luca is going to fill up the offensive stats. But Jimmy Butler is a far and away better defender than Luca is. I'm, do you disagree with that? I can't disagree with that, but... Okay, so I think, like, I get it. When you're looking at points, assists, right? You're Rebounds. Like, oh, yeah, that's so... You no, know, okay. the hockey assists. Sure, sure. All that. But when we go over to the other defensive rating right things like that steals things like that blocks deflections etc like those are the stats that aren't sexy but those are the stats where jimmy butler consistently shows up okay you have your arg i have my arg we'll check in in about march on the all-star break and see who's right well i'm gonna make a prediction here that luca's gonna be better but you know Again, I think when you make this argument, you'll be like, but look at how many points Luca has. Have you seen Just the triple doubles? Just wait till March. Just wait. You're like, have you seen the triple doubles? He There's so many of the machine. triple doubles. He's going to be nasty. Like, I agree. <laughs> Luca is fantastic, and Luca will have a million triple doubles. The two things that Luca has a problem with right now is that he's not a great shooter, but he takes a lot of three-point shots, which is the opposite of Jimmy, who is – not a great three-point shooter, so he does not take as many of them. And he is not a great defender right now. And those are the two areas of his game where he needs to improve a lot. And I think if Luca's three-point percentage jumps this year, he's going to make a significant jump on this list and displace several people. Absolutely. But for the amount of threes he takes, he's a poor, poor, poor shooter. And I, I'm making a bet that he'll be better this year. All right. Let's get into the fly route for today. Giannis has just signed a Supermax deal with Milwaukee. So he is locked in there 
for the next five years, even though he does have a player option in the fifth year. But let's be honest. This Milwaukee team does not feel like a championship roster. Nope. And their summer plans tell us that at the very least, they don't think this current roster was their best championship roster. Right after the Bogdan trade fell through, they clearly let us know that they thought they were one more step away from having that championship home run team for Giannis. We know the players that they were interested in trading to try to get there. They had Dante DiVincenzo, DJ Wilson, and Ersan Ilyasova on the trading block for the Bogdan trade that fell through because of the tampering issues. And I think both this summer and Giannis now having reaffirmed his commitment to this team shows that they are willing to go hard for putting together a championship team around Giannis. So now I have the question for you, DeMarcus. If you're the Milwaukee Bucks, what is the fly route to get this Bucks team over the hump? So I'm going to make a great argument. But Here's the thing. I think this Bucks team, when we look back in five, ten years, will be the the runners up or close to it almost every time. They're gonna be stuck right there. They're gonna be where the early two thousands Kings were, not able to get there. Don't what? What? You don't like that? Nah, man. I just about to give a shout out to Pedro Sirakovic. Uh, Pedro got his ring, though. He came back and got his ring. Twenty eleven. The the Mavericks are we're one of the last, you know, pure championships in this league that wasn't, you know, just bought and paid for. Except Stop for the Warriors, it. of course. You know, that first one. That first one before okay, they got Okay, you KD. should really just move on, nigga. You sound <laughs> ridiculous. I'm not being ridiculous. But a lot of things happened this offseason. Uh, changes around the NBA, including, well, not just the Bucks. I think the Bucks know they're not a championship team. I think the East just got a lot harder with KD and Kyrie coming back. I think a lot of other teams in the East made moves that made them better. Even at the bottom of the East, you got teams like Atlanta making lots of moves to get better. You got teams like Charlotte who aren't that good, but are still trying to get better. They signed Gordon Hayward and draft, uh, uh, you know, the ball with the number three pick. Um, you know, so you got all these teams in the East getting better. And Talk about Philly. If we're talking about Philly, teams getting better. I haven't got, even gotten there yet. And so we got Philly getting better. Boston's still there. Those young boys are coming. And so I think, like, I don't see any move that the Bucks can realistically make getting them past the Nets if the Nets are what I think they're going to be. None. None. So I'm going to give my move. I'll say I don't think there's a move that gets them over the top. I do not think Harden would either work as a move or it will happen. I think they will make smaller moves to get point guard slash shooters in there. Um, they don't have a ton of assets that they want to give up because they want to try to keep as much as possible because they think a lot of those players, um, like Middleton, for example, are core to a championship run. Although I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that they will, I think they should go after a couple different targets for, for trade. And I think it won't cost more than, you know, either DiVincenzo or Augustine or some second round kind of picks, stuff like that. I think they should either try to get Lou Will from the Clippers which I think is a, good, a decent okay. scoring option that helps add uh, depth uh, in the guard position on this team. Uh, I think there are some locker room problems in uh, LA with the Clippers that could make Lou 
um, make his value a little bit lower for them and maybe try to get rid of him because he's had some, I think, uh, clearly stated problems with the way that the either one or both of the Clippers star players and Paul George and Kawhi had been treated under Doc Rivers and think probably they're going to be treated under Coach Tyron Liu. And I think that's possible for one move. And I think that move really helps Milwaukee um, in the Eastern playoffs. Why did the Clippers want that move? Well, like I said, first off, I think just get rid of a bad locker room thing. Sometimes teams love this. They love to say addition by subtraction. And I think if they're like the locker room's a little sour with Lou Will in there, he's bad on the defensive end. Maybe we get rid of him and just the lock, the not having a bad locker room guy helps our team next year. And some teams are like that. I don't know if that's the case, if that'll work, but I think I could realistically make a case for the Clippers trying to do that and try to make it work. Okay, I I get that. I feel like the Clippers are going to hold out for a better point guard package Mm -hmm. than what Milwaukee can give them, but I do see the math. Now, the other trade that seems less likely, but I actually think it's more likely, is a package of players and picks to Indiana for Victor Oladipo. Okay. And I think that makes the Bucks a lot better. I think it's realistic. Oladipo is a free agent next summer. The Pacers will want to get rid of him now in a trade if they think he's going to leave. So they get something back in return, even if it seems like table scraps to most people, which means they'll probably be willing to take what Milwaukee's willing to offer now in order to get that, um, get something back for him. What's the package? Uh, I think you send uh, DiVincenzo, um, another bench player, and a couple second round draft picks. Will that salary match with Oladipo? Uh, I'll have to I have to double check the math on who they have to package with that to make the math match. But I think you know making sure the math match. I think it'll work, um, particularly because it's an expiring contract. I'll have to look into this. I didn't get into my trade machine yet, but I think the trade makes sense for both sides. I think it makes the Bucks a lot better. Oladipo, when he was last healthy, averaged like twenty three points um, off the bench. He averaged like 23 points off the bench and uh, was one of the top three in steals in the league. I think that makes the Bucks a lot better and gives them really good guard depth. Okay, I actually like the Oladipo trade, and I think that that actually might be a trade that it's surprising you have that on your list and you don't think that puts them over the hump to me. I just don't see them being the Nets. I think, again, I think the Nets will be really good. Okay, that's fair. For me, I agree. They're in a tough spot. I like the Drew Holiday move. The idea is you want him to fill the one or two spot and whichever one he's not in is tough for you because who's in that other spot? DJ Augustine? Is that who's going to be playing your big playoff minutes at the two? No. I don't like that. Dante DiVincenzo? That's who's playing your big playoff minutes at the two? Their backcourt is weak. And I think until they kind of shore that up with the player, I really like Oladipo. The wall will be really hard for them to beat. Without those backcourt players that can move around, shoot, etc. And for me, I think that they won't get a big splash move. But what they can do is actually talk to the team that you think they can't get past. And that's the Brooklyn Nets. And I think they should go after Spencer Dinwiddie. I think the Nets like him but they cannot give him enough minutes to do what he can do. And his contract is going to expire sooner rather than later. And he is a player that was on the rise a lot before all the changes got made 
And now he's kind of on the back end of their rotation. And what they need is a bunch of spot-up shooters. And that is not what Spencer Dinwiddie is. So you can give up a package of DJ Wilson, Dante DiVincenzo, and a pick, which gives the Nets the spot-up shooters they need for the ISO style that KD and Kyrie will probably play. You know, they'll play around with the ball a little bit, take someone off of the dribble. And if they, you know, catch the double, kick it out to the wide open guy, DiVincenzo and DJ Wilson are the type of people that don't mind sitting in that corner and will just shoot. And I think that makes the Nets offense flow a lot more, right? That's why they had to acquiesce to Joe Harris, right? Because they could not give up any more shooting from players that could catch and shoot. Now, I think Dinwiddie ends up being great for the Bucks, mostly because he's a player that can get his own shot and be a scorer with the ball in his hands. And you need someone that when they wall off Giannis, Giannis can just kick out the ball, let someone else restart the offense, break down the offense, and then you get Giannis to some pick and roll action. Then you get people like either cutting off screens, a lot more movement, and that style of movement will make the kind of, I guess right now, this has really been the Achilles heel. I can't help myself. That's <laughs> terrible. Because you know what? One of Katie's burner accounts is gonna find you on Twitter. I hope I hope I hope they do, and I hope it gets exposed. <laughs> like I want beef for one of Katie's burner accounts. Or friends. I like I got no I mean we'll be on ESPN. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, like, like beef, friendship, either or two sides of the same coin, but I'm interested. So I think that that is the only way to really break down the big flaw in this team, which is also the big flaw in Giannis, right? And absent that, I really feel like this team is going to disappoint again, and that's going to be tough to watch given how Giannis has kind of locked himself in there. Okay. Um, I see yours make a lot of sense. Um, I just think for the first thing you said that the are the Nets, the Nets and the, the Bucks are the big competitors in the East is why that trade won't happen. Do I think on paper it works out and makes both teams better? Yeah, but I think a little bit of ego and pride will get in the way um, of these teams and it won't happen. Okay. I can see that. I feel like there's some other options around there, but this is, it's going to be kind of hard for them to peel off somebody that makes the difference for them. Mm -hmm. In my mind, it's got to be from a team that doesn't feel like they're competing directly with them. And I don't think that the Pacers or the Clippers feel that way right now. I can see. The Clippers not feeling that way. I don't see the Pacers not feeling that way because, like, it's kind of like the old Popovich thing. It's like I don't trade people to the West in the Western Conference. That's fair, right? The Kawhi thing. He's like, I'm, I'm sending you. You want to go to LA? I'm sending your ass to Toronto, nigga. No, you're not going to LA and playing us like six to eight times a year. No, I feel that. I just think if the Pacers are smart, they realize that Oladipo has had some rumblings that he may want to leave next year in free agency. And right now, TJ Warren, who looked really great in the bubble, like came out of nowhere in the bubble, dropping 50, um, has plantar fasciitis, is week to week, not looking great to have a strong season, at least right now, but like we are in the preseason right now. And so I think they have to see the writing on the wall that they are not going to be a team contending in the playoffs in the next few years. And it's better to go ahead and break it down now 
and try to get some pieces back for the climb back up and also wait Giannis out, then go all in now and hit the wall every year. So I agree that it makes sense for the Pacers to want to move Oladipo. I'm not sure if they want to move him to the same team that sniped Malcolm Brogdon away from him. That's fair. Like, I'm not sure that they want to, like, sure, I feel like the Bucks, if this came to their table, would be idiots to say no. Absolutely. Like, if you want to do something that actually might make Giannis, like, go James Harden on your shit right now, this would be it. So, I'm not sure this is the team that they reach out to because I don't think this team has a package for Oladipo that makes sense for the Pacers' time horizon in that sense. That's fair. Like, I feel like at that point, why not reach out to the Heat with a bunch of young shooters and young talent? Like, they have none. They have Duncan Robinson. They have Tyler Hero. Like, they have young players they're going to develop in the way that you need them to. But I digress. Let's not play, boy. All right. Let's get into the NFL playoff picture. We only got three weeks left in the regular season. The fantasy playoffs are about to start. The seeding so far is relatively set. But, you know, there's still some movement possible. We know who's clinched already in the AFC. We got the Chiefs and the Steelers. In the NFC, we got the Packers and the Saints. I'm pretty sure... Like, the Packers and the Chiefs will get the buys. Almost certainly. Right. Like, something would have to come, like, the Saints would have to pull up a pretty crazy upset to get back into the race uh, against the Packers. So, it's now more about who's in the hunt for these wild card spots and who's on the bubble. So, I want to talk about the AFC first. The teams that are currently in the playoffs for the AFC, we got the Bills, the Titans, the Browns, the Colts. And the Dolphins. The Dolphins are eight and five. The Colts, Browns, and Titans are all at nine and four. Right? So this is a really tight race. And in the bubble for the AFC, some teams right now, the ones that I really think are real are the Ravens at eight and five and the Raiders at seven and six. Technically, the Patriots are still in it, but let's not do that. So, Demarcus, I want to know which team in the AFC. That's in now. Do you think it's going to end up being out? And who are you taking to replace them? Okay. Uh, real quickly, Miami players are going to make a real short trip to Cancun in a little bit here. <laughs> in about three weeks because they're staying at home for the playoffs. Um, they are 8-5 and five now, but I think Miami has reasonably overachieved a bit this season. Um, I you know, have their last three games for Miami. They are playing New England, Vegas, and Buffalo, which is a tough closing schedule. Because New England and then at Vegas are both teams also vying for that wild card spot. And Buffalo is also a team in their division who's trying to lock up a divisional win for the first time in like 20 some odd years. And so they reasonably have three teams down the stretch that are going to play them really tough. Two who are divisional opponents. They could easily lose all three games. I don't think that's out of the question whatsoever. Um, I think they will end up losing some of those games at least. And I think the team that's going to replace them is not the team that you think, the Ravens, who are the team that's right behind them. I think the team that's in the second place spot for the wild card seed right now, the Las Vegas Raiders, 
will be the team that sneaks into the playoffs. Okay. So I think they're going to overtake the Ravens, and I'll get to them in a second. But I think the Raiders, who are 7-6 and six right now, so they're, um, I think, a full game back. And mm-hmm. they are uh, second in the AFC West. Um, so their last three games are against the Chargers, Dolphins, and at Denver. I think they can easily win two of those games, if not all three. If they beat Miami, that's the game that they're behind. And uh, they'll also, I think, win out and also pass the Ravens, who are currently 8-5 and five and third in the AFC North behind the Steelers and the Browns. And I see the lack of passing from Lamar is too big of a problem to overcome in the last three weeks. I don't think so. I think the Ravens could still go two and one. They have a really easy schedule. They, but I think who are they going to lose to? The Giants. Without Daniel Jones, Daniel I, Jones now has a second injury on top of the calf injury that he tried to play through. I think he'll last be back. Week. He'll be back. Okay, because two weeks from now, the Baltimore has the Jags, Giants, then the Bengals, man. And I think they'll beat the Jags and the Bengals, but I think two and one will not get it done for the the Ravens, and they'll lose to the Giants, who are, I'll say this later, going to end up winning the East. Ooh, spicy, spicy. All right, I I feel you. I do agree. The Dolphins are the weak link here. I do honestly, even though they currently have a forty five percent chance of making it to the playoffs right now, which is far and away better than the teams below them. I really believe in Baltimore rallying late. And we have seen Lamar was actually able to pass in that Cleveland secondary. He put points up on the board. And when he had to pass and everyone in the stadium knew he had to pass, he delivered. Now, I don't think he is going to be like far and away Mahomes level passer or anything like that. But, these last three matchups, I'd be shocked if the Ravens did not win out having the Jags, the Giants, and the Bengals. So it's hard for me to see the Raiders overcoming being this far back, this late into the season. But I see what you're saying. I think we can agree that the Dolphins right now aren't going to finish where they need to. No. Especially because we know what the Patriots consistently do to rookie quarterbacks. Every time Bill Belichick gets his hands on them, the young guys have a lot of trouble up there, a lot of trouble up there, which is another one of these upset of the weeks. Like I told you when the Cardinals went over there, this is not one that I think that they're going to be happy with. They probably go one and two, and I actually think they'll take the Raiders who have been playing pretty poorly as of late. Okay, let's move on to the NFC. So. In the hunt in the NFC right now, somebody from the NFC East has to make it, right? So the Washington football team is in, the Rams, the Seahawks, and the Bucks. On the bubble, the really, I think there are only two real teams on the bubble here, right? And that's the Vikings and the Bears at six and seven apiece. And they play each other this week too. So I'll ask you again, what NFC team that's in now and you might have multiple of them that won't make it. And who are you taking to replace them? Well, I just already called it. it. It's the Washington football team who are currently leading the NFC East right now. Um, but they will not stay that way. I think the Giants, even with the injury to Daniel Jones, will overtake them and win the division to sneak into the playoffs. I did some math here on the tiebreaker, so I got it all down. So okay. this, this I got, you know, I got some logic to my, my arguments. Um, the last three for the 
Washington football team are versus Seattle at home versus Carolina, and then they go to Philly. They could okay. easily be one and two in those games. I think Seattle obviously is a team that is going to the playoffs and will want to try to go in on the right step. Russ will try to get back to cooking. That'll be a tough game this week. Next week, Teddy Bridgewater and the Panthers are still going to play them tough. I don't think they're going to lay down whatsoever. And then in the last week, I think they can beat Philly. But even if they go one and two in that instance, like I'm predicting, that will give the Giants the win if the Giants go two and one. So I think the Giants are going to, like I said, I think they're going to beat Baltimore and they're going to beat Dallas to end out the season. That also makes them two and one. Um, and when that happens, they would both be, they would be tied in wins. So you go to the division record. They're tied in division record. They're both be four and two. Then you go to conference record and the Giants would have the slightly better record at four and seven uh, compared to, I think it's four and eight for the Washington football team. And that makes the Giants your NFC East champions and playoff participants. I can't see the Giants making this push because of Daniel Jones injury, like an injury. And he was already injured and kind of hobbling out there with the calf last week. Mm -hmm. He was not, he did not look good. And now he has a whole separate injury designation. So I can't really bet on the Giants making this push. And just the Washington football team has been playing good football as of late. They have been. I do think they'll lose to the Seahawks, but I do think they will win out after that. I think that it's just, it's weird to say this, but do you think it is possible for the Eagles to win out? And because they have that one tie, things get a little weird. Um, yes, it's possible. It's unlikely. Um, I don't really care as long as the Cowboys don't make the playoffs. You can't make the playoffs. I'm, I'm literally, I know rooting against it. I'm, Even I'm if saying it, were possible, it might be mathematically impossible. I don't think, I don't think that's true. <laughs> I don't think it's mathematically impossible. I think there's like a small, 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 small chance. Like a 2% chance. Well, I haven't run the numbers, but <laughs> I haven't looked cause I'm praying it doesn't happen mm-hmm. because you, you know where I'm at on this. I don't want them in the playoffs. I think being outside the playoffs, having a better draft pick, and increases the chances of re-signing Dak, I think gives the team the best chance in the long run. Okay. So, yes, Philly could do it. I don't see it happening now. Okay. It, it's weird for me because I feel like this is a division that's relatively locked. I feel like the team that is most likely to slip out is the Cardinals. Hmm. And it, I think the Cardinals are actually more likely to slip out than the Washington football team. The Cardinals have been less and less consistent as the year has went on, and their lows are starting to be more and more apparent. But most importantly, I think the Washington football team's competition is so much worse. Like someone has to win the NFC least, which is why they're not my favorite to drop out. The team on the outside that I think has the best chance of getting in is going to, for me, is the Chicago Bears. Of course. But that's just because the only really two options are the Chicago Bears and the Vikings. Mm-hmm. And I think the person that wins that game is the only person with the chance of getting in. Mm-hmm. So I'll say we t- I'll take us over the Vikings. And at that part, that kind of eliminates the Vikings from the wild card competition. Then we get the freebie against the Jags and just pray to God that Green Bay, since they've locked up their bye already, sits their people the last week and we get an easy win. You better hope, but you know, Aaron Rodgers hates your soul. I, I know, I know, <laughs> but I'm saying like, that is the path. Like the path is just like, we got to beat the Vikings. The Jags are a freebie for everybody because they obviously don't. They want Justin Fields at this point. 
right? And then we just got to pray the Green Bay Packers sit the starters because they locked up the bye. I do think it's way more likely that the NFC picture looks exactly oh, like yeah. it does now going into the playoffs. So let's get into the last piece of this segment. Who do you think is going to be the biggest playoff bust? Tom Brady and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Ooh. Okay. I think they lose Tom Brady loses on Wildcard Weekend for the second year in a row. Probably I think the probably only consecutive Wildcard Weekend losses of his career. <laughs> um I yeah, think he don't play Wildcard Weekend. <laughs> not usually, but last year, you know, he played and he made that mistake and took that L. You know, he was he wasn't going to Club Shay Shay. Um <laughs> but I think that'll be what happens. I think their offense has never really fully looked right this season. Um, there's huge questions about it going down the stretch. And I just don't think they're going to get it done. I think they're going to get into the playoffs and they're going to falter for whatever reason, whether it's can't connect on a deep pass, can't get the run game going, miscommunication between Arians and Brady, whatever it is, I think they're going to be the biggest bust. Okay. I feel like there's a chance the Bucks disappoint and it's not a bad chance. But for me, the biggest playoff bust is going to be the Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh, I don't disagree. I'm saying I told you to sell your Steelers stock like two weeks back. True. I was holding. I was holding. Yeah, I told you to sell. sell. Yeah, I see. I told y'all to sell. And now and now you are holding on to stock that's significantly less valuable than it once was. I'm telling you that this team can't win a playoff game like this. They can't run the ball. And if you cannot run the ball and your receivers are also dropping passes, but you're trying to do the Tom Brady quick pass as a substitute for a running game style offense, you can't secede. We're going to call Pittsburgh a paper dragon and agree that they are not going to win a playoff game. But mm-hmm. I think based on what they, so. what they have looked like the past two weeks, we, we're actually kind of going to see that coming. I think people are still going to have more hope and faith in the Bucks, in the Bucks, and Tom Brady, and uh, hope and faith is dead. You need to move on. <laughs> that man is forty three. Okay, I I do agree that because of how extreme the Pittsburgh like spiral has been, that people might have a little bit more faith in the Bucks coming out. So I want your playoff surprise. What's the team that's going to surprise you in the playoffs this year? Like last year, it was the Tennessee Titans. They came through and they punched the fucking Ravens in the mouth and they never let up. So I think it's the Buffalo Bills. Ooh, okay. You've been high on the Bills. I have been high on the Bills and they're still under the radar somehow. Um, The Bills, even when I was high on them, they've looked better since then. Um, People are going to have to go to Buffalo in upstate New York in December and January and you don't want no part of that, no matter who you are, because that snow and that cold, you're not ready for it. Uh, I, I don't think that's going to be pleasant for teams visiting them in that first round playoff game. I think right now they're the three seed in the AFC. And so they've got a decent path. Now, obviously, if this shakes out the way that we're predicting, they're going to have to go to Kansas City at some point. And mm-hmm. I don't think they're beating Kansas City, but I think I could easily see a AFC championship game. Kansas or uh, Buffalo at Kansas City and it being competitive. Okay. I like that. I'm like that. For me, I think it's going to be either Seattle or the Cleveland Browns. I think we actually might see the Cleveland Browns win a playoff game. Stop it. Look, 
This well, I guess it's 2020 and hell's frozen over, so maybe. I mean, it's 2020 and the Cleveland Browns are going to be a double-digit win team. I hear me we have picks flying soon too. Look, so it, it's <laughs> look when I told you that the Cleveland Browns were like a 10-win team at the beginning of this podcast, you were appalled. Reasonably so. All right. So here's where I'm at. I think that that running, that rushing attack is just ridiculous. We know what they can do on the ground, which means they can keep control. They can keep control of the ball, control time of possession, keep the other team's offense off the field. And we are seeing Baker actually get better and better and more accurate. And he's moving out of the pocket. He is making those on the move throws that we saw at OU that made us go like, oh shit, yeah, that guy might actually be a good number one pick, right? And he seems to be getting a lot more comfortable with what Kevin Stefanski is putting in front of him. Seattle is just kind of like, they're live. It's Russell Wilson. That defense is becoming better and better each and every single week. Like I said, they would. And now we need the offense to catch back up to where it was before. And I think like, if this is a team like, you know, a team that's really like, it's kind of like the Bucks. When this team is clicking, it is going to be really dangerous. Dangerous? No, I absolutely agree. And if, no, I'm, no, like, if, I'm a, if I'm a team in either conference looking at the playoffs, the question of who do I want to play less, the Seattle Seahawks or the Cleveland Browns, it's Seattle. Because if they're in it, they're, they're in it. There's a chance they can win it. Is it high? No. But Russ might... Get in there and, and do you do you one dirty and you may not see it coming and be like what we should have seen that it's Russ and yeah. <laughs> and you're not and you're gonna feel bad and you're gonna sleep on him and I think if I'm a team in the AFC if I am Kansas City for example would I rather take my chances if if hypothetically if it were Seattle instead would I rather play Seattle or Cleveland oh it's Cleveland I I agree the thing I have with the Bills is that ten and three like the Bills doing well should not surprise surprise people. Uh, it shouldn't, but I think it still will because of who they are. They also, just like the Browns have had a record of in the past 20 years, not being a winning organization. Yeah. But we watched them in the playoffs last year. The true fans did. I mean, we, I mean, I was watching for Deshaun Watson, exactly. but we, I still what, watched. What are you talking about? In the playoffs last year? Is that the wild card round? I'm thinking of, oh, that's what you... I'm Deshaun thinking of that Watson divisional game where Bills. Patrick Mahomes went God mode on the no, Texans. No, that's, that's the next <laughs> that's the round. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That's the next round. I'm sorry. Over. That's all I can think of. When, I, when, I saw, <laughs> when you said Texans in playoff last year, I was like, oh, you mean that game where Patrick Mahomes said, sit down, <laughs> go home? Uh, it, was, it was rough. It was definitely rough. Uh, so I, I feel like the a surprise team to us is going to be kind of a brown Seattle team, a team that people are like, they have, a, they have a very clear flaw, right? And it's been showing for a while, but they might put it together at the right time. Okay. I, I'm with it. We're going to see in about three weeks, four weeks. Welcome to the final segment of our show, the heart of our show, Bogger's Bouquet. Too often in the media, People only want to focus on the negative and salacious things athletes do and never want to give them credit where credit is due. Here, we like to make a change. All right. So as we wind down 2020 in the holiday season, we want to recognize those who have done good throughout the year. 
So on our last two episodes of 2020, this week and next week, we'll be giving big ballers bouquets to two individuals who have done what we would call a respectable amount of good for the year of 2020. For our first recipient, we have Shaq Thompson, linebacker of the Carolina Panthers. So this week's Ballers Bouquet recipient has been doing good deeds all year long. He helps out communities in Charlotte, North Carolina and Sacramento, Carolina. Um, You know, Shaq has stepped up on both uh, the biggest issues of this year. I think pretty clearly the global pandemic caused by COVID-19 and uh, social justice issues, in particular police brutality. So he said, quote, I'm doing it from my heart. If you know me, you know I don't like a lot of lights on me. I want to step up as a leader, let my voice be heard, and my face be shown. So earlier this year, at the start of the pandemic, Shaq helped donate 2,000 meals to frontline healthcare workers and also provided uh, two dinners a week for families who were struggling with housing um, this summer due to losing work through the pandemic, etc. But wait, there's more. He said, quote, I care about this community. I care about the people. I want them to see that and know that. So he also stepped up on social justice issues, specifically police brutality. He led a coalition of players to meet with the Charlotte Mecklenburg police chief, uh, Kerr Putney, to discuss building community relations and how to improve police accountability in their in their community. But hold on, there's more. He teamed up with running back and teammate Christian McCaffrey. For uh, to create opportunities for at-risk youth. They created the 22 and 54 Together program. This program provided $50,000 to cover police activities league and Boys and Girls Club program fees for low-income youth. But wait, there's more. He's been at this all year, folks. Uh, he also gave $25,000 to Grant Union High School in Sacramento, which is alma mater, for new football uniforms and equipment. But wait, there's more. Uh, he also is about to announce a partnership with a local dentist in uh, Charlotte to give 100 uh, low-income youth free dental screenings. And if they need braces or other dental procedures following that screening, also paying for that. Okay, that's big. So he's Take been doing good teeth. all year long. We got another great person who's been doing good all year long in an even bigger way next week for our last episode of the year. Um, make sure that you tune in to find out who is going to be the recipient of our biggest Ballers Bouquet. But uh, while you're at it, in the holiday spirit, go out and give in your community like Shaq has and like all of our other recipients have all year and make your community a little bit better. That's this week's Ballers Bouquet. It's, 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 it's a Playboy affair. All right, all right. That's it for episode 14 of the Fly Route Podcast. As always, we want to thank each and every single one of you all for listening and spending your time to be here with us. We appreciate all of y'all. We want to give a big shout out to all of our international listeners. We've had a lot of listeners from Romania, Japan, Australia, and we really appreciate all of you and your interest in American sports and us. As always, we want to hear what you all think. Let us know who is in your top 10 in the NBA and give us a follow 
on Instagram or Twitter at the Fly Route Pod and let us know what you think about the show. More importantly, have a little holiday spirit and spread some joy. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to share with your friends and family over this holiday season, especially as we kick off with some new NBA games on Christmas Day. All right. We'll see you all next Friday. <laughs>